Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, June 25th, 2019, and I'm your host, Arielle Taylor, with my co-host for the evening, Anastasia. Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest from her busy schedule, but she has started scheduling sessions again um, in October and uh, forward. We've had a great response for our next Starseed Quest to Arkansas for August Harmonic Convergence, which is August 16th through the 19th, but we still have a handful of spots available. And this is a soul family reunion, and all starseeds with at least one galactic marking on their charts are eligible to attend. And for more information, you can just write to crystals at starseedhotline.com. And just in case you were wondering, uh, we had to cancel our scheduled show last week as our guest was unable to join us, and then my internet went down for the day, so we're looking forward to rescheduling the author of Codebreaker, Sandra Biskind. So our special guest this evening is Bren Blankenship, author of The Limitless Soul, Hypno-Regression Case Studies into Past, Present, and Future Lives. Bren is the founder and executive director of the Brace Center in North Carolina. She's a certified master hypnotherapist, international instructor, and author. Discovering the power of hypnosis and the meditation while an actress working at the professional level, Bren used hypnosis as a way of removing boundaries, opening new doors in her career, and for self-healing. Bren then changed careers to become a hypnotherapist and went on to become a hypnosis instructor, helping students to hone their hypnosis skills. Bren is taught internationally, and her certification courses in the USA draw an international student base to them. Her book, The Limitless Soul, teaches how to access the soul level of your mind to resolve current life issues. Featuring past life, afterlife, and future life case studies, The Limitless Soul explores the many aspects of a soul's existence. It shows that life is not a random series of events and can be used to gain insight into your soul's future while exploring earthly lessons for your current incarnation. With universal messages, hands-on exercises, meditations, and practices for awakening your soul's guidance, you'll discover your personal gifts and a deeper understanding of your place in the world. And you can visit her website, which is brenblankenship.com. And Bren is spelled B-R-Y-N. Blankenship is B-L-A-N-K-I-N-S-H-I-P.com. At the top of the show, it's Anastasia's Starseed News, bringing topics of interest to Starseeds that you won't hear in the mainstream. And we'd like to thank Kathy and Jada for hosting the switchboard tonight for those who may have a comment or question for our guest. We have an online Starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other Starseeds thanks to Tammy's helpful dedication. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. And if you'd like to show your support of our program, please just click follow on our page here and you'll get our weekly show notices if you enable those. 
Our main website is StarseedHotline.com, and the Stage 1 Starseed Confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Anastasia or myself. And as I mentioned earlier, Lavendar is taking a much-needed rest, but she is scheduling sessions again, and she's uh, working on October right now. And if you have a birthday coming up, don't miss out on your 10 hours of power. You can find out when it happens by just requesting your solar return timing. And remember, if you want the Stage 2 interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least four months ahead of time because we do have a waiting list. So first up tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her fascinating Starseed News. Yay! Good evening, Ariel. Good evening, everybody. I love that. Just makes me laugh. That's so cute, Ariel. Thank I thought you it very would. much. <laughs> oh, lots of news. We missed last week, so here we are. And I better get into it. We're leaving a lot behind because we don't have enough time. But um, there is something interesting happening in the recording of cosmic rays. I'm not going to give my take on it, but I'm going to share with you the story. And uh, they have discovered that Earth now has been hit by the highest energy photons ever recorded. It's been coming from the Crab Nebula. But anyway, the Tibetan Plateau is a vast elevated plain that's over three miles above sea level. They sometimes call it the roof of the world. Now, it's bordered to the south by the highest mountain range in the world and to the north by deserts. It's one of the most isolated places on Earth. Well, scientists built an observatory there to study the showers of subatomic particles that rain down from the upper atmosphere whenever the Earth is hit by a high-energy cosmic ray. And studies such as these are best done at a high altitude because there's less atmosphere to interfere with the absorption of the particles. Well, now, until, until right now, or until just a few weeks ago, uh, they discovered photons, which are light particles, with energies up to dozens of, ter- of tera-electron volts. Tera-electron volts, just dozens of them. This has been about equivalent to the highest energy photons that can be created here on Earth, light particles. Well, Friday, researchers from the Tibet Air Shower Gamma Collaboration up in Tibet say they have observed photons with energies above 100 tera-electron volts for the very first time, including one remarkable photon with an energy of almost 500 tera-electron volts. Now, that one single photon had about the same energy as a falling ping-pong ball and is the highest energy photon ever recorded. Now, by comparison, check this. The Large Hadron Collider the world's most powerful particle accelerator, has a collision energy of a mere 14 tera-electron volts. Compare that to 500. (laughs) Scientists say these newly discovered high-powered particles are streaming here from the Crab Nebula, which happens to be remnants from a supernova in the Perseus arm of the Milky Way, and it's only 6,500 light-years from Earth. So fascinating, bombardment by high, high, high energy particles occurring at this particular time. Very interesting. Hmm. We could ask ourselves what impact and influence that might have on what's going on here in this planet. 
Well, I thought you all might like to know this. I think it's a bit of information that probably everybody should know. Google's Chrome web browser has uh, been reported now and discovered to be essentially the same as spy software. It's a spy device. <laughs> Google's Chrome being essentially a spy software. This is according to a Washington Post columnist, a tech columnist, who analyzed the browser and concluded that it looks a lot like surveillance software. Now, he said that he has since switched to Mozilla's Firefox because of its default privacy settings. And regarding Chrome, he said, quote, my tests of Chrome versus Firefox unearthed a personal data caper of absurd proportions. In a week of web surfing on my desktop, I discovered 11,189 requests for tracker cookies that Chrome would place on my computer, but were automatically blocked by Firefox. Now, these little files are the hooks that data firms, including Google, use to follow what websites you visit so they can build profiles of you your interests, your income, and your personality. Chrome allowed trackers even at websites that you'd think might be private, such as insurance companies and the Federal Student Aid website uh, set cookies for Facebook and Google whenever they were pulled up using the browser Chrome. That's not the half of it. If you look in the upper right corner of your Chrome browser, if you see a picture of yourself or a name in a circle, if so, you're logged in to Chrome, and Google could be tapping into your web activity to target ads. You don't remember signing in? Well, there's a reason for that. Chrome recently started doing that for you automatically whenever you use Gmail. Well, Firefox to the rescue, because for the past four years or so, Firefox browser has a built-in anti-tracking feature in its private browsing mode. And earlier this month, Mozilla activated this feature for normal browsing mode, too. Now, while ads will still appear, Firefox is now separating cookies in real time to determine which ones are required for a website to function properly and which ones are simply spies. Chrome, meanwhile, continues to set cookies on your computer and your cell phone as fast as they can set them. So, food for thought. If you're looking for privacy... Chrome may be the thing to kick out of your your network options. Wow. We've had some pretty big earthquakes since we last got together. There was a tremor in Australia, a powerful 7.3 earthquake, uh, struck near uh, uh, Australia in the Banda Sea off of uh, uh, Indonesia, and they felt that all the way to Australia. 7.3 is big. And we had a 5.6 that struck California just a few days ago on Saturday. On Saturday, it was a 5.6. It registered in Humboldt County, um, according to the USGS, and it follows a seismic swarm of 400 quakes this month. This is the 25th of June, and there's already been 400 quakes. And last time we talked, two weeks ago, I, m I mentioned the an, uh, great number of floods all across the planet. That's still continuing, but... I need to point out of how much snow is falling across the northern countries right now in summer. Canada, northern states in the United States, and two feet of snow fell on the first day of summer in Colorado. On the summer solstice, 
Snow began to blanket areas west of Denver. Some cities saw more than two feet of snow, according to the National Weather Service. And Steamboat Springs got 20 inches. First day of summer. Oh. Yeah. Uh, the sun has been spotless for 33 days straight. And there's a side effect to that we might not think about. Uh, due to the fact that the sun's magnetic field has weakened, more cosmic rays are now bombarding Earth, and some airline flights are seeing doses of radiation 73 times what we'd see at the ground level. So if you're a frequent flyer, you might want to think about that. Uh, they say that frequent flyers, pilots, uh, people that work in the air are being exposed considerably more to radiation from the sun. Uh, there was um, uh, an earthquake in uh, the Kermadec Islands that was 6.8. That occurred on Wednesday the 19th. And then again on the 21st, which was Friday, they had another very strong earthquake from a 6.8 to a 6.3. That was the fifth earthquake in six days and the sixth major earthquake for the region. So a lot of activity in in that part of the world in that uh, ring of fire and in India you know if you are living let's say in Palm Desert Palm Springs 122 degrees this time of year is pretty much normal it's hot it'll melt your candy bar when you come out of chocolate bar <laughs> leaving the store before you get to the car but imagine 122 degrees in India with all of that humidity well, that's what they're getting there. Ninety-two people have died as India remains in the midst of their most punishing heat wave, affecting much of this country. It's bringing droughts and hundreds of cases of heat stroke naturally. It's uh, also experiencing its lowest rainfall in over six decades. And this is the third week of that, actually the fourth week of this heat wave. It's become one of the longest on record. 122 degrees in, in India is intolerable. I was reminded of that movie 2012 when I found this article. I don't, those of you that have seen the movie will know what I'm talking about. Recall your mind about the Indian putting his uh, feet in a bucket of ice. But that's really hot and something to pay attention to. They're suffering with that. And in Aberdeen, South Dakota, here's a weird one. I didn't even know this could happen. See, I'm, I'm not fully educated about everything in this world, <laughs> to say the <laughs> least. I did not know there were clockwise rotating tornadoes. Uh, there was a very rare clockwise rotating tornado that touched down in Aberdeen, South Dakota. And estimates indicate that only about 1% of tornadoes in the northern hemisphere rotate clockwise. Tornadoes are usually counterclockwise. So this one broke the mold here. Clockwise rotating tornado. Now, not being a meteorologist, I can't explain to you why that's so, but I'm sure they have a reason. Nevertheless, an odd and unusual event. Well, let's talk about our what-could-go-wrong department, shall we? <laughs> you know now we're moving into weird science when I say that, but here we go. They have engineered a fungus, uh, genetically engineered a fungus, to produce spider ven venom that will kill mosquitoes. They say it's a new weapon in the war against malaria-carrying mosquitoes. It's arrived just in time for summer, folks. Researchers from the University of Maryland and the Research Institute of Health Sciences in Burkina Faso, wherever that is, have figured out a way to genetically alter a fungus to produce deadly spider venom that kills mosquitoes. 
this fungus, which is already deadly to mosquitoes, even without the added venom, think about that for a minute, worked so well that in one trial, it nearly killed off an entire population in 45 days. Well, here's what they have to say about it. A bug scientist told reporters that we are using a gene encoding a single toxin, one of the many toxins in spider venom. The toxin has been approved for use as an insecticide by the EPA, so this toxin has been confirmed to be safe for everything but insects. Now, the spider to make this venom uh, that kills these mosquitoes comes from or is replicated uh, after the Australian Blue Mountain Funnel Web Spider. It's one of the most dangerous arachnids in existence. Now, this fungus has been genetically engineered to produce the toxin, and it works like a contact insecticide. All you have to do is touch it, or let's say they say the insects have to touch it, because it penetrates the skin of the insect. It sends tubules. Uh, there's a word for that in fungi. The tubules go into the uh, the skin, and that's how the uh, toxin is transferred. Well, researchers are exploring ways to make the fungus cheap and easily available. Oh, goody! Some critics have noted that genetic engineering at a fungus of a fungus is a very bad idea, as it could have unpredictable ripple effects in nature. Creatures such as bats and bees could be negatively affected. They do argue. Now, the inventors of this insecticide, genetically engineered fungus, are insistent that it's only harmful to mosquitoes. And in the meantime, imagine the money they will make as they sell this. Uh, let's sell it now and talk about the consequences later. Maybe that's, that's what we'll do. Well, the yeah. Earth is moving toward the same meteor swarm that scientists think caused the Tunguska explosion in 1908. Now, right now, it's June 25th, the last week of June. And uh, our planet is right now in the midst of a close encounter with the towered meteor swarm. This will be the closest that we have been to the center of this meteor swarm since 1975. We won't have an encounter this close again until 2032. So for astronomers, this is a pretty big deal. And while they're hoping there won't be any danger to Earth during this past, this time, some scientists are absolutely convinced that the, that the Tunguska explosion of 1908 that flattened 80 million trees in Russia was caused by an object from the torrid meteor storm. Now, the last week of June, as I've said, marks the point when we're closest to the center of this swarm. And that will be when our risk is the greatest because our planet will approach within 30,000 kilometers of the center of the torrid swarm by the end of this month. So the further along we get in the month, the closer we get. Now, 30, I said 30,000, excuse me, it's 30 million. And 30 million kilometers may not sound or may sound like a long way. But in astronomical terms, they tell us that's not too far. And so this is the distance from the exact center of the swarm. So it's not going to come this close again until 2032. That's a bit of a ways away. So if you're in the mood to go watch for falling stars, this is the time to do it. If you're out in a clear country, you know, wide open skies, and you've got um, clear cloud-free skies, it's a good night to go out and take a look and watch for some meteors, some falling stars. All right, I've got a couple more minutes, and I want to share kind of a, 
I don't know whether it's funny or alarming or just purely interesting or maybe not interesting to some, but I was somewhat humored by it, so I'm going to share it with you, and I think it is important. It's important to know where we're going with science. And if we can't have a sense of humor about this stuff, well, I tell you, I I think we have to have one. Um, This article (laughs) is about what billionaires do with their pocket change. And, and, you know, oh, boy. Well, (laughs) we all know that billionaires control a substantial amount of the world's wealth. In fact, current projections see the richest 1% controlling two-thirds of the entire planet by 2030. But that's about the time that meteor storm is coming back. Anyway, but did you know that when they aren't investing in space shuttles, underground hyperloops, and sprawling tech campuses, the super-rich are looking at a range of mind-blowing methods to increase their lifespan. They want to live forever. Well, commercial finance experts have been, you know, who wouldn't want to live forever? If you had billions and billions of dollars, you've got it so good, why would you want to give it up, Right. It's easy to understand how they feel that way. Well, commercial finance experts have been digging into some of the strangest and most extravagant approaches that billionaires have turned it uh, to in their quest for immortality. And uh, they want to get at least more years than the rest of us because they got more money to spend. Well, they're looking into young blood transfusions. And it's straight out of a sci-fi blockbuster, really. And maybe you've heard about it. It's been kind of on the news off and on in little cracks and small spaces. Um, There are companies currently conducting trials into the effects of transfusing blood from young people, healthy people, between the ages of 16 and 25 into people who think they're getting on in years. Older people, they want young people's blood. And billionaire PayPal co-founder turned venture capitalist Peter Thiel has made headlines over the past few years for his rumored interest in the process, specifically related to a startup company called Ambrosia. Ambrosia. Young blood. Now, if you want this done, it's going to cost you for a trial. Uh, trial ranges from $9,000 to $275,000. So it's going to cost you to get a young blood transfusion. And uh, cryonics, and Peter Thiel, yes, him again, is the most vocal in his endorsement of this freeze yourself for the future process. And also, it's been rumored that Walt Disney had it done, although rumors of Disney being frozen after his death have been debunked. The process itself is actually very, very real. And looking back in my life, I do remember sci-fi programs uh, talking about that, and we all hooted, thinking, imagine that, that's not possible. Well, the cost of service, it will set you back $78,000 to freeze your head or $200,000 for your entire body. You can also freeze your pets. It costs $5,000 for a cat or dog and $900 for a pet bird. So you can do that. Freeze yourself for the future. And digital consciousness, this sounds exciting. Uh, It's been reported that a $1,200,000 federal grant from the U.S. National Institute of Mental Health has been invested into this this project of um, transferring your mind into digital media. And I happen to think that they're just doing that because they are so frustrated they can't do anything to heal the human psyche. So let's just give up on the brain and we'll invest some money into digital consciousness because we'll be successful. You can control a computer, you can fix a computer program, but people are very much harder to fix. Anyway, that's... 
the associated billionaire with this is Sam Altman. And if you want to sign up for digital consciousness, you have to put down a deposit of $10,000, which actually seems like a steal compared to the cost of some of these other programs. But you get a chance to live together, uh, to live forever in digital form, actual immortality, they call it. Uh, the process is described by the company itself as actually being 100% fatal, and no successful trials have been completed. So probably if you're thinking about this, you might want to wait and see what happens to other people who try it. And while this may <laughs> sound completely unbelievable, here's what Google, here comes Google again, uh, their director of engineering has to say on this subject. He said, we are going to become increasingly non-biological to the point where the non-biological part dominates and the biological part is not important anymore. In fact, the non-biological part, the machine part, will be so powerful it could completely model and understand the biological part, end quote. And I think just about last on our list, yes, we're getting there, I need to go and let you have it for the show, is apocalypse insurance. Now, these are people who want to prepare for the end of the world. And uh, let's see, we have uh, Mark Thiel, uh, excuse me, Peter Thiel again, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, Larry Ellison, and Steve Huffman are all looking into this uh, to find a way to survive the apocalypse. Now, if you want to do that, you're going to spend $13 million to get yourself a secure New Zealand hideaway that would be fit for a billionaire. Or you'd have to spend $100 million to see uh, the apocalypse out in a Hawaii estate want to live on an island, uh, Peter Thiel actually purchased a 477-acre estate in New Zealand worth tens of millions, which he claims is his insurance against global catastrophes. And Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook is on the same wavelength. He bought a 700-acre plot of land in Hawaii just in case. But Oracle co-founder Larry Ellison went a lot further. He bought 98% of the land on Hawaii's sixth-largest island, Lanai, and he bought his own airline to um, wait out the apocalypse. Well, they say money can't buy you happiness, but it can certainly get you somewhere fancy to hide <laughs> while the world ends. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they're colonizing space, too, just for that. But I'm going to skip that because I'm running out of time. Here's a quote for you. I thought it was kind of funny. What you seek, you shall never find. For when the gods made man, they kept immortality to themselves. And that comes from the Epic of Gilgamesh, an ancient uh, manuscript story. <laughs> All right, cool. everybody. From my heart to yours, have a beautiful week, everyone. We'll see you next time. Okay. Thanks, Ariel. Well, that's <laughs> a lot of food for thought there. Uh, but thank you so well, much, Anastasia. I just sure. appreciate you bringing these things my to our attention. Yeah. I love all of you. Okay. See you next week. See you next week. Bye-bye. Okay, well, Bren, I'm going to get your mic open here. Well, Bren Blankenship, welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. So um, I had um, read as much of your book as I could um, on the, uh, you know, on, on on Amazon. They've got a, a good indication of what's inside. But um, first of all, just let me ask you um, about your your own life. I mean, I I saw in your bio that that you you used hypnosis 
to help you in another career, and then um, you found it to be so um, impactful that you decided to change careers and do this full-time. So how long ago was that? Well, it was it was about 20 years ago that, um, I mean, I, I got into hypnosis even before that, and when I would do meditation, even with groups, I would go to these other places. And we had this one acting class where we flew in a coach from L.A., and once a month, we would a group of us would work with this coach Friday night, Saturday, Sunday, and this went on for a few a couple of years that we worked with that person, and he did this thing called relaxation, where you would lay out on the floor, and it was essentially it was a progressive relaxation that's been used in hypnosis, but he just called it relaxation. Well, most of the class they would relax, and they would go into this peaceful place. But me and maybe two of the other ladies in class, we would leave our bodies and go fly around. I mean, we were relaxed. So (laughs) isn't that what you're supposed to do? So we had a great time doing that relaxation. So as I was acting, um, I would travel up and down the East Coast to wherever I needed to go for auditions. And I got to this point where I was feeling like I, sh- I, should, I should be doing more, I could be doing more, and maybe I was holding myself back somehow. So I sought out a past life regressionist to help me clear anything from a past life that was holding me back in my acting career. So I would go to this person once a month, and one time we uncovered a past life as an artist starving in the streets of England, Um, I think it was the 1600s. And then another time, I was a singer, um, like an opera singer. And um, I was very well known in Europe. And I believe that was the 1700s. And it's interesting because I don't sing at all in this current life. But in this other session that I had, what happened was I went into hypnosis, into a deeper state. And... In hypnosis, you're able to access just more of yourself that you maybe are not aware of in your conscious waking state. So it's nothing to be fearful of. It is, you know, when you're when you're focused on negatives and you're kind of beating yourself up mentally, that's negative hypnosis. And so in this state, we're going into the positives and, and looking at the, those attributes. So in that session, I popped into what's called a precognitive session and um, precognitive regression, actually. And I saw myself standing in this prairie grass, and there were rolling hills, and there was an orchard of trees, and I'm just walking through the orchard having my pick. And there were apples, and there were apples hanging on the trees that I was picking, having my pick. And then I began to realize in the session that these were metaphorical apples representing acting jobs. So that whole session unfolded, and it was really beautiful. And I came out of it, and I knew more about what that meant, but I didn't understand it completely. And I got home, and within a few days, my friend from L.A. who had gone out five years before, and I hadn't talked to her in five years, she called me up and she said, Hey, Bryn, you need to come out here. You would do really well out here. Come stay with me. You can stay on my couch and come check it out. So I had everything worked out to go. 
I had the money, I had the time. I had my husband was going to stay with the house and look out for everything, and he said, "When I have a reason to go out there, I will." But for right now, this is something you need to do for yourself, without the worry of taking care of all these things. So I had it all lined up to go, and then fear set in, and I mean the kind of fear that paralyzes your feet to the ground. So I was all set to go, and then I almost didn't go. But I sat and I really talked with myself and really literally had to have a conversation with myself to say, you know, you're being ridiculous. It's just fear. Recognize it for what it is. Get up and go. I got my headshots. I took my suitcase full of clothes, packed my car, drove out there, and I had been told one of my friends in Nashville had told me about an acting class. And I joined that acting class, which happened to be just down the street from my friend's apartment. Everything was so divinely guided. And I joined the class, and someone saw me, told their agent. She called me in, hired me on the spot, and then my job was to audition. So where I used to go on two or three auditions a month, if I was lucky, I was going on three or four auditions a day, every day, or weekdays. So I did that, and I started working, booking commercials, and then one day I was doing this Chevy OnStar commercial. I was playing the aunt, and it was shot in black and white. So we did the aunt back in the 1940s in black and white, and then we were shooting the 19, the 19, I guess, 1990s in color. And the um, I was waiting, standing there on the, the hilltop. I had a trailer. I had my star on the door. I had my name. I was feeling pretty good about myself. We were in the grapevine north of L.A. It was wonderful. And I'm standing there in my Birkenstocks because we're in between the two segments. And somebody says, hey, Bryn, you need to watch out. There could be snakes in that grass. You're wearing those sandals. And so I looked down at my feet, and I looked up. And I had one of those deja vu moments that took me right back into that scene in the session that I had had where I was standing in the prairie grass. There were the rolling hills. It was the exact scene except there were no apples on those trees. But there was an orchard of trees down there where we were filming under the exact tree. And so that hit me because I knew exactly I mean, I knew exactly what all of this had meant and um, what it had taken for me to get there. And I really liked doing the work behind the scenes. I loved doing the character work. And, you know, I would have not told people this then, but I'll, I'll share with you guys now. Each of my characters had, like, an astrological sign. They had, like, their favorite crystal. Like, my characters had, like, that background information related to when they were born and what their personalities were like. And, you know, that was just how you you need to build this backstory for your character. And um, anyway, I liked all that work behind the scenes. So I was out there for a couple of years, and my husband would come out. You know, we'd go back and forth. But I was working, and I did a little bit of film, a little bit of TV, a little bit of commercial work, and decided that as fun as that was, it was. T- I had to make a choice. I was at that crossroads, and I decided to study hypnosis so I could bring that back with me. 
you know, as fun, as much fun as it was to do the acting, I just felt like if I could do, if I could find that needle in a haystack for myself, what could I do for other people to help them find their way, you know, with whatever that, mm-hmm. that is that's holding them back. So I came home, and then I would go to wherever I needed to go to study with my various teachers, um, to study past life regression and life between lives. So wow. that is that is, sorry to be yeah. sorry to be yeah. so wordy, but it's hard to well, no. you know bring that down into a smaller story. So um, I, I understand that you're actually a second generation hypnotist. Uh, your father also um, was trained. Yes. So my father. My father would always say to us, I'm the oldest of four kids, he would always say to us things like, keep your mind in a positive place. If you just think about positive things, you know, you can overcome illness, you can keep your body well. And um, I didn't know at the time, because my father, that's not what he did for a living, um, but he trained in hypnosis and he specialized in self-hypnosis and the power of positive thinking. So he would use that, and Zig Ziglar and um, Wayne Dyer, Wayne Dyer was one of his favorite people, and he would, you know, teach us as kids to to start thinking about those things. And then my mom, she was really big about faith and being positive, you know, that a higher force is helping you work things out. And my mom also used to, every day she would read our um horoscope to us, you know, before she'd send us off to school, <laughs> give us something positive. Oh. <laughs> so, so, so I kind of had You had not, not the typical parent. No. Well, and what's so interesting is those two aspects of them are so different from the rest of them because they were pretty conservative. But at the same time, my mother would say to me things like, you could have all the money in the world and be unhappy happiness is most important. I don't care what you do for a living as long as you can take care of yourself and you're happy doing it. So she really instilled that in me. And, you know, that's what I was doing with the acting is following that passion until I had to make a choice. You know, I could have focused on the career and moved up the ladder that way, or I could come back and have a simpler life. And um, I'm, I'm very happy with the choice that I made. But it was from that influence of my parents. That's probably why you picked them <laughs> for <Yeah>. your parents. <laughs> you know, on on some level, um, you know, souls they pick the parents. It's not just a a random thing. Well, my mom used to so, say, "You don't pick your parents. You're kind of stuck with us." And when I started doing this work, I studied with Michael Newton. Um, and um, a couple of others, but when I studied with Michael Newton, who really focused on, he's the author of uh, Journey of Souls, Destiny of Souls, and really focused on life between lives, hypnotherapy, his focus was pre-birth planning prior to incarnating. So I would come home from my sessions and call my mother up and say, well, you were wrong. Because you used to say you can't pick your parents, and I just found out that you do. <laughs> and here's why I picked you. <laughs> she didn't know what to say, but she liked it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you you 
kind of got into this from your own experience and and success yes. and and then you you went and got your certification and then you became the master hypnotist and now you teach people from all over the world. I do. I do. So I That's studied wonderful. with it, I mean it's so exciting to be able to do this and I've traveled. I mean I've traveled, you know, to other continents and done this work and you know, I teach from Wilmington, North Carolina, and people come to me for these, this kind of work. I, I studied with Roger Wolger, who did a lot with ancestral work. And he talked about the stored um, subtle bodies that store memory patterns around the body to transform these longstanding issues. And I was on a stru- study track with him, but then I learned about Michael Newton, and then I moved into that because I really aligned with the life between lives. And and Michael Newton passed just a couple of years ago. So did Roger Wolger, actually. It's interesting. I was with Michael Newton when Roger Wolger passed. All of my teachers except for one have passed on. And um, with Michael, um, I helped start the Newton Institute and I was a board member for over seven years and am a lead instructor with the Newton Institute. So I have that foundation and that background. But then, so so with Life Between Lives, you're working in the between. To Michael Newton introduced a map of the spirit world and the structure of the spirit world and these different places that you can go to access more about your your soul group and recreation and, you know, that sort of thing, into pre-planning the life that you're incarnating into. But then my work early on started to change. So I would try to facilitate what I'd been taught to do, doing the format that I'd been trained to do it in, but my work kept popping into this other format, which I now call Soul Expression Spiritual Regression. And that acronym is SESSOR, like an assessor, an assessment, or a review of your current life. And this allows the client to um, permit the magnification of their soul in their current mind and body. What I mean by that is it's bringing in that soul energy even more so, because when you incarnate a piece of, you know, the, the, the piece of the soul for all of us stays behind on our home planet and then that part incarnates into the the body that's incarnating but the the core of the soul stays at home and we're with these sessions we're helping to align with that soul in the physical body now to identify and review the past and the future simultaneously with the perspective of current life and having that direct guidance from your soul and your spiritual team. So this is to help the client find and follow their soul's guidance. It's to help identify negative patterns that have been created throughout many incarnations so that they can move through their issues more quickly, more easily, by having that direct access to yourself. So every session is unique, and every day at the office is just amazing because I'm exploring with my clients the most amazing things. You know, we're uncovering the mysteries of their soul, and they're bearing their soul to me and sharing with me as we go along. 
Wow. So you this um, assessor uh, soul expression spiritual regression is kind of a, a a trademark thing. You're the only one that does this, right? Yes. So or you train other I people teach, in it. I I haven't yet because I've been developing the technique, and this has come through thousands of client session hours where I've worked with clients and you know. Um, and, and, and trying to fine-tune this before I go out and teach others. Now, I do teach hypnosis certification, and I teach past life regression um, from, through, my, through my own center. And then um, I'm kind of on hiatus from the Newton Institute from teaching, but I taught with them for many years um, internationally. Um, but SESER is something unique to me. No one else is doing it. And I haven't given away how I'm doing it because, like I said, I'm trying to fine-tune that and, and really get it in the right format before I, you know, have others out there doing it as well. So did you are, – are you developing this technique because um, other types of therapies were missing something? Um, well, what started to happen is I would feel the energies changing. Right, and we needed a method that would encompass this. So it's it's an evolution of all of my training. And one of my other teachers that I haven't mentioned yet is Brian Weiss. I also studied with him, and he's very, of course, he's well known for past life therapeutic work, and he wrote many lives, many masters. So this work is evolving out of those methodologies, and I went to the the top people in the field to study with, and I'm so glad that I did because I couldn't find this anywhere else. And then, as I said, my session started popping into this other space, and then clients started reporting back to me um, information. So just to clarify, when a client is in hypnosis, they're in that deeper state, and they're talking to me, and they're telling me what's happening. So um, I'm not reading them although in that state my intuition is heightened because we're kind of in this little energy bubble together. But they are in that deep, I'm, I'm talking to them, guiding them to that deeper space, but they're doing it. And they're taking themselves down into that space, and then they're telling me what's happening. If they're meeting with a God, their spiritual guide or if their soul advisory council is there, um, they're telling me about that. And just to um, explain, the Soul Advisory Council are the team of wise beings that are assigned to each of us prior to our incarnations. They help us with um, planning out those incarnations. And then you have your spirit guide who, you know, and you you have more than one, most of us have more than one spirit guide that we work with. So the council helps with the bigger picture, and then the spirit guide helps with um, implementing those details and kind of working with us while we're here down on the ground, um, you know, helping us, sending us little hits, um, nudging us in the right direction to keep us on track. You know, that's, that, we call that the star team yes. because, uh, you know, star seeds have um, ETs, you know, in the fifth dimension, maybe on a ship somewhere, that that do the same thing. They just keep an eye and they guide and they 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 try to impel you um, 
but they can't cross uh, the lines of, of free will unless they're invited. Exactly. And we have free will while we're here. However, um, sometimes that free will can get us off track. We can get distracted. And, you know, our, our team works with us. We have the free will to not follow the plan once we get here. Yeah. So most of us do follow the plan. It's sometimes there's a short way and there's a long way. And as one of the guides explains, sometimes the long way is the short way. <laughs> I think I took the long way this time, but I'm still happy. <laughs> <laughs> I still got where I needed to be. Wow. So um, do people have to be with you physically? Yes. So I do this in person. I don't like to do it over, well, I I don't do these kinds of sessions over Skype or online. Um, I need them physically in the room because it is, it's hypnosis, but it's also a little bit of energy work involved, and I need to be able to touch them if needed. Um, I just need, and and things happen when you do them online, you know, just connections. Yeah, yeah, I can. The connections get crazy. Yeah, I, I and I can respect that because when someone's in an altered state, you're kind of responsible, and and if you're not physically with them, um, like, like Anastasia would be the what could go wrong department, you know, between <laughs> between the internet and uh, you know wh- what people would experience. So yeah, I don't even have computers um, in the room because you know it can the energy can make the computer go haywire. You know, so trying to use the computer to do it can get a little crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and there's also a spiritual recharge that I call a soul recalibration, and that that soul recalibration is part of that alignment that helps us to just think up much more clearly with our soul. And and sometimes the soul will come in and start talking. Uh, well, oftentimes actually. Um, so when the client is in that state. Sometimes they're telepathically communicating with their counsel or their guides. Other times their soul will come through and start speaking through the client in third person to me about the client and share, you know, relevant information about that client and what they need. Um, And then there's that soul recharge that takes place by connecting in that space. It's really wild. I mean, it's just the most beautiful thing to be part of. Wow. So can you um, tell us uh, some of the things that that people um, experience that you've written about as your case studies? Oh, sure. Um, One of the case studies in the book is um, called the birth – well, it was going to be called the birthday suit, but my my publisher didn't change my article – my case studies. They just changed my titles a little bit because I I wanted to make them fun titles, and they wanted them to be a little more serious. Um, But there's a lot of humor that takes place in the spirit world with these beings that are communicating with us because they want us to lighten up. They know how difficult it is to be here, and they want us to lighten up because that joy helps lift us out of the ruts that we can get into and helps keep us flowing on our purpose by being happier. So the, the chapter called... The Gifts Brought With You, talks. it's a client that I've had this described many, many times by clients, but this one particular client was so eloquent the way that she described it. 
talking about pre-birth planning and the gifts that you bring in with this invisible suit. And she said, it's tailored just for you for that lifetime and everything that you're going to need for that lifetime so that you can access that when you need it. And, you know, they pre-plan it, they pre-plan this out with the Soul Advisory Council. And we're talking about skills, talents, abilities, um, people, you know, awareness of people that you will run into during that lifetime, monumental moments that will occur. All of that is built into your birthday suit to be tapped into just when you need it. And our Soul Advisory Council, they know that Earth is the emotional planet. And half of the battle of being here is managing your emotions. So tapped into that suit, sewn into that suit, are skills that are going to help with the emotions. Or sometimes we're, we're, so we bring with us this um, bigger-than-life emotion so that we can learn to experience that way, you know, by being so emotional or being repressed and kind of keeping emotions tight, you learn each through each of those experiences. And in that particular case um, that I, I wrote about, she is here to bring joy. And just by being in a room, you can feel the joy. And that is her gift. And she's also to learn to speak up. Because there were other lifetimes where she didn't speak up and someone that she loved died because she didn't speak up. And then she ended up um, living out her lifetime. Um, she She felt guilt. She felt remorse. So she and her loved one lost their lives. She died from grief at a very young age. And it wouldn't, her life didn't have to end when his did. And there's a possibility she could have saved him, but she didn't speak up. So this time she's here to clear that karmic carryover. And um, and then in her chapter, it talks a little bit about some of the earth changes that are coming and how joy and compassion are, are needed. So a lot of souls have come to bring that joy, just to exude joy and happiness just by their being, because we need that at this time in history. So that's one of oh, my absolutely. favorite stories. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that is so that is so in in alignment with with what we teach, you know, in our sessions. That you know, you just you, we're here to hold the light and to you know not participate in uh, you know negative uh, emotions and thoughts and situations. Yes. So. Um, I want to. I was, I was looking to incarnated at this time is to hold well, that yeah. energy. It's very important. Yeah, and we. And, but then a lot of us will get here, and you know the third dimension is very dense. It's very hard. It's very nasty. You know, people are cruel to each other, and uh, and a lot of star seeds um, are feeling you know the strain of that, but. Yeah. Um, so using your techniques um can you can you help people kind of detach from you know the 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 toxins of the third dimension and i'm speaking metaphorically um and and be able to reach those those levels that they intended to in the first place and then something yes. you know 
something because holds it's helping, them back. It's helping to clear that stuff that weighs down the spirit. You know, the opposite of joy is that heaviness. It weighs on the spirit. It weighs on the body. And and it's not about being off in your head. It's about connecting to the heart so that head and heart are connected together. Because we have to function on this planet. And we have to deal with, the, you know, paying bills and buying groceries and doing laundry and all of that kind of stuff. Even if you have somebody to do it for you, you still have to have it done. And, you know, there's that. But there's this higher level that you can come from and, and kind of rise above some of the, the stuff that's going on out there in the world. You know, I live here at the coast in Wilmington, and it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, you'll start to recognize people when a hurricane's coming. You'll start to recognize by the way people act, who's aware of that higher place to go to and who's stuck in the in the the, the heaviness of the three D. And so when the hurricanes come, um, you know, we have this group of people that seem to find each other and we're sitting there imagining the hurricane dissipating and imagining it, you know, calming down and going back out to the ocean and, and going away and, you know, not doing the harm that everything is projected on TV because there's so much projection on TV about the hurricane that's coming. And when you're here, those things are not even happening yet. But the way they're describing it gets everybody riled up and then all your relatives call and say, oh, are you okay? Nothing has even happened yet. But we're out okay. there, like, imagining it dissipating and sending it light and, all of that. And then you have others that are caught up in the fear of what could happen. Still, nothing has happened yet. And so to give that example, um, with Sessor, what we're doing is helping you to align more clearly with your soul's guidance and to be more present so that you can be in the present moment. So if a hurricane were coming, you can get yourself to safety if you need to, or you can be calmer and more relaxed and that swept up into that wave of fear that happens every time there's a hurricane. It happens, I mean, it's lived here for, I don't know, 20 years, and, you know, 18 years. And those hurricanes, they're going to come, but you got to ride out the storm and not let yourself get sucked into the fear because then you'll trip and fall, you'll metaphorically or physically, you know, you just create problems for yourself that didn't need to be there had you been more present and in the present moment. So that's a, sort of a metaphor for this work because in your own life, when you're dealing with those storms that come through, the assessor can help you align and be clearer so that you don't make situations worse as you're going through those life lessons that we deal with. Well, that makes so much sense. So um, I noticed a, a chapter in your book about breaking negative money patterns. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yes. So that was a chapter. Um, that client, she was having a really hard time, and she was gifted a session. I mean, she didn't have the money for a session, and she was, but she really benefited from a session. She was going through a divorce. She didn't have money. She had three children. She was about to be evicted. 
um, her job, she had a job, it just wasn't enough to pay the bills. And years before, she had given up her career to stay home with the kids, and so now she didn't have that career. She had a job, but it wasn't a career. And she had three children she was responsible for. And so during those sessions, um, oh, and I should mention, to do Sessor, you do a past life session first. And it can be done the day before, or it can be done at one point, and then do the Sessor session in the near future. Um, but you do the past life session to explore a past life. And it's like a, the way I do past life regression is different. And it's like a preparatory session that's preparing you for the Sessor so that when we do that session, it's going to take you even deeper within yourself to access that information. So on the past life day, um, she was guided into a past life in the 1700s in the Netherlands. And she went to a place in a small town. It was a little small village where the wealthy tourists would come and, and vacation in the 1700s. And she was dressed at, in traditional Dutch clothing. She was 13 years old and had like a little white apron and wooden shoes. She had outgrown this costume many, many years before, but her parents made her wear this outfit because it was a way that they could, um, she was made to stand in the front yard and weed the garden in that little outfit so that the tourists would walk by and feel sorry for her and throw, she said they would throw coin, and then her parents would come up and gather the coin so that it didn't appear they had collected as much as they had collected. So there was a secret room inside their house. Her, her parents had gone so far as to build a secret room on the interior of the house to hide their nice things. They didn't have chickens or a cow because it was, that was a sign of you know, middle class or doing well, and they didn't want anyone to know. So it was this whole artificial life of pretense, but like in the opposite of what you think of pretense. And um, her, Helene was her name. She had to keep up that beggarly image. And um, another thing was that her father, he wasn't supposed to be allowed to read, but his dad had taught him to read. And he didn't have any um, male children. He just had Helene. So he taught her to read and write. And then they would discuss business of the day and tourism. They would discuss all kinds of things. And Helene really loved that, but it had to be it was another secret that she had to keep. So this wealthy tourist sees her when she's older, sees her and asks her father if he can marry her. And the father agrees once um, Peter agrees to pay for her her parents to live, pay for them for the rest of their life. And he takes Helene away to his home where now she has servants and, I mean, he's very well-to-do. He's very well-connected, um, a businessman with all of these connections. So she goes from poverty or they were comfortable but pretending to be poor. Now she is very well off. And um, she 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 was... Her job was to have children, of course, to um, for Peter, and none of them survive infancy. So she believes it's because she, he loves her more than her. She loves him back. 
So she goes to the church and spends a lot of time there repenting and f- because she feels so guilty. And then Peter takes on a mistress, and he has a son with the mistress. So Helene actually asks Peter to move the mistress and the son into the house because she feels guilty, and she she wants she, well she doesn't want to have the responsibility of of raising that child. So the mistress and the son move in, and then Helene spends even more time in church. So what came out of that life was um, this opportunity for Helene to be a go-between with her husband's business. And this was during the time of the financing of the New Americas. America was being created. Um, There was impending war. Europe had become so hedonistic that um, Helene started to feel that it was her duty to keep her country in the Netherlands out of war. So she became a spy. And she started passing notes through church confessionals to certain priests at the church who would pass them where they needed to go. And she would host these dinners with high-ranking officials that her husband would work with. And um, they were talking about financing America, the America that we live in now. And she was a spy for um, for those government agencies uh, passing, you know, passing on information that was detrimental to changing the course of history. So here's this woman that's living in poverty in her current life, but she had all this wealth in a past life and used that to further a cause that helped so many people out and helped America. And then when we find out that, and she did get caught at the end of that life, but the officials released her because they thought that she couldn't possibly know what she was doing because, after all, she was a woman. So, you know, she couldn't know what was on those notes, and she's not supposed to be able to read, so how could she possibly be able to reason? But anyway, um, we find out in the Sesser session when she came back for that session, we found out more about how these souls are strategically placed to not only facilitate their own soul's evolution, but for the good of the earth, because they go beyond ego, control, and human characteristics. And Helene was not money-driven. She didn't care about that, although she had money. And she was one of those advanced souls, unnoticed by society, but playing a big role in the advancement of the divine plan. And so the message that came out of that session was following your heart and your joy put you where you need to be. She followed her heart because her heart said, you need to do this or else your country is going to be wrapped up in this war with all the other countries there. And, um, you know, each soul is part of that divine plan. And each soul is unique and has special skills that they bring to the table. So... There were lots of money lessons in there, and um, the guides and her counsel, her soul advisory counsel, explained to her that not only were there money lessons for her, but there were lessons for her ex-husband and others, you know, from her current life who were in that past life. And so they told her to align with joy, to release fear and worry, that the joy would bring lightness. 
and they told her that money is energy. It's not to be held on too tightly. It's not to be feared or blocked. And that she had to get out of the marriage when she did because that was an artificial life, just like the one that Helene had lived. And um, staying in for money would have been the wrong thing to do. So what has happened is Helene in current life has moved into a whole other career. She's built the most amazing life for herself. I mean, I'm trying to keep the current life details out because it's, um, you know, for her identity and to keep it secret. Right, right. To keep her identity. But she she has an incredible life, and she has had a complete turnaround, and she has a home and is doing really well. And she's someone that I stay in touch with, and every time I talk to her, something new and amazing is, is happening. But um, at the end of that chapter, there are also exercises in the book, and at the end of, each, end of each chapter are some exercises to cultivate healthier attitudes towards money to help people live a more authentic life, you know, so they're not draining their money in places that they don't need to be draining it. And they, you know, sometimes you can change your budget and look at things differently, and you'll find more money that you didn't know you had to go do the things that you want to go do. You know, when I was acting, I was spending money on acting classes, headshots. That was, I was driven to do that. When I got into hypnosis, it was about studying with whoever I could study with that had the skills and the tools that were going to help me that I was really drawn to. And I would, you know, I, don't, I would always wonder where in the world I was going to get the money for those classes, but I would find it. I don't know how. It just would happen once I made my mind up that that's what I wanted to do. It would all fall into place. So mm-hmm. we talk about that a little bit in that chapter. So in in each chapter, um, you have their their case studies, and it's it's not like a textbook that you'd have to read from the beginning oh, no. to the end. You can jump around, and, and if something catches your eye, and then at the end of those case studies, then you have um, like techniques or exercises. That you know, if if you're uh, resonating with what you just read in this chapter, then um, then there's a technique that you can practice to to kind of bring it home. Exactly, and you know, there. Are, so I chose these chapters because these clients, because their sessions, they not only had uh, messages for the client, but they were universal messages that illustrated something so beautifully that, you know, I've had many, many clients describe this thing to me. But this particular client described it all in one session. And, you know, my teachers, especially Michael Newton, he would always say, don't call a thing a thing until it's happened many, many times. You make note of it, you ask questions about it, but, you know, you want to get more clarity before you announce something is a thing. So um, there are really great universal messages um, woven into the stories, you know, it describes what it feels like um, to have like a recharge and a reconnection. Um, there's one, there's a, a story called Reconnecting to Find Presence and Passion. And that client was a scientist. She still she is a scientist. And she wanted to, to know more about why she was drawn to Native American culture when she was young. She used to play Indians 
hunting buffalo and searching for food and making teepees out of rags. Like, that was her idea of playing Indians. And she went to a past life that took her, she was a Native American male with her bare feet lying in a cool stream of water, and there were mountains off in the distance, and it was just a very sensory place. And we got there, and then the session stopped. And so when she came in for the sessor, her her guides, her team, took her back into that space, into that sensory space, and there were like these intense emotional energy downloads, and there were just tears of joy that were flowing through her. It started balancing her chakras. Um, we, you know, in these sessions, we find out soul name. Um, we do the soul recalibration, and it was just realigning her and explaining that the the soul, body, and mind, in her case, were working together as a scientist to help the left and the right brain work together because of her science and analytical skills and because of her ability to sense and open up to this energy that had been shut down a little bit, but the session opened it back up, that she can now bring that together with the work that she's moving forward to do. And um, they, they just, in her case, told her to stay focused, to not get distracted, and how the world has all, all of these brilliant minds scrambling just to live, and how the you know they're trying to survive, just like that last client and that other chapter I was talking about, and how we need this world needs that shift to come from heart, so that we're all working together. It's not all about scrambling just to, to have money and to survive so we can focus on the, the deeper things. You know, these brilliant minds could uncover more if they weren't having to work on the daily stuff that can weigh you down. So they were reminding her of that. But she has gone on to, she's she's moving into a role as an educator, and she has gone on to study energy work. And um, even after the session when she contacted me, but when I contacted her, actually, to ask her if I could use her story for the book, um, she was telling me how her chakras, her chakras were just a buzz. Um, she was just um, pulsating since the session. And in the session, um, something came up with a moon, uh, a moon with an arrow covered in feathers that was placed on her chest as a reminder to stay focused. And... We did uh, we did a meditation at the end of that chapter for the reader, so that they can do a full moon meditation and help synchronize with the energy of the moon, and also to find peace and heal those old wounds along the way. You know, and sometimes we know these things. Sometimes this is new information for the reader. Sometimes it's a reminder to go do that. Like many of us know to take yeah. your jewelry and charge it under a full moon but we forget to do it. Right, now it's a reminder, right. you know. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, there was there was another uh, title chapter that I was hoping that you could expound on, uh, Weight as a Mask. Oh, okay. So weight, um, let me see if I can remember more about that one. So the weight of that client was weighing him down from the bigger issue 
and I believe that was the writer. Um, and he, he was told to go follow his soul's purpose, and in doing so, the weight would start to shift and start to come off because it was like procrastination, um, weighing the spirit down, you know, sitting there eating, procrastinating when you know what you'd like to do, but you're trying to find the courage to step up and do it. And um, he was a he was a leader in that past life. Um, I believe he was a sergeant, and he um, had you know these young soldiers. He wasn't very old himself, but he had these young soldiers under him, and was reminded to take that leadership and carry that now into his current life, but also to write about those stories. Some of the stories that he, and so now he's a writer in current life, and some of the stories that he writes about are from past life, where he was in the military. But he brings great humor to the stories and makes them interesting. And then there's a lot of wonderful information in there that can help the reader to move through fear and move in their move forward in their life as well. And in his case, his name was Harvey. And his guides came forward, and, you know, this can happen differently in each kind of session, but in his session, his guides came through and showed him information in this viewing room, kind of like if you were at, in a private screening of a movie, and he was reporting back to me what he was getting. And the core message that he got was, put your heart into what you do. So they were telling him to put his heart into his stories and it would all work out. And um, there was there were connections to, you know, eat, overeating and overdrinking in a past life because when he came home from the war, the life he knew had changed. And, you know, he had, he had been in the military for a long, long time, and now he's a civilian. So he spent a lot of time in bars talking about the war you know, with other former soldiers. But they were saying that for current life, to get away from the overeating and get on with the doing. So there are exercises at the end of that chapter, too, to help the reader start to think about, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G, right? And what mm -hmm. emotions are weighing you down? So if you could do what you'd like to do with your life, what would that be? And then to start breaking that down and then start uncovering more about those goals to see what's holding you back, where you're distracting yourself. Because as you get more aligned with your passion, you stop doing those distracting behaviors like overeating, overspending. You're more aligned and you recognize I don't need that. You don't even think about those things anymore because you're more aligned with doing what it is that makes you happy. And then there's some different exercises in there to get you started um, as you get focused on that. This is wonderful. I, I saw I saw another, um, uh, I think it was a chapter title, uh, that caught my eye because Lavendar has been, uh, since the day I met her in 28 years ago, um, been a loyal, I mean, what is not loyal isn't the right word, um, 
habitual salt bath taker. <laughs> I guess that's what you could call it. I mean, every day, every day. And she teaches, uh, she teaches star seeds the same thing because it um, it neutralizes the negative uh, charge in your energy field uh, if you pick it up. But do you have some uh, something to add to that? Well, that's why I put that in the book. I've known about salt baths for 30 years, and I used to do them all the time. And now that I live at the ocean, I go jump in the ocean because it's a big salt bath. And right. it recharges the energy. Even if you can't get your whole body in, get your feet in the ocean, get your feet in a salt bath. It clears energy. It does everything that you just said. And I'm not sure exactly what chapter that's in, but it's in there. And also um, essential oils. You know, use those things to lift your energy. Use crystals, salt baths, essential oils, the things that help lift you, enlighten you, make you happy. You know, if if a little small jar of essential oil and having that and smelling that each day makes you happy, make sure you have some of that in your life. Or if certain flowers bring you joy, have those flowers around you in your garden so that you can see them or have them in your house as a house plant. You know, so the salt baths are, are a continuation of that, but it's so important because the salt bath clears your subtle body, the subtle energy bodies around the physical body. It pulls out toxins. Um, it just is really wonderful for rebalancing. Right, and it's... Um I'm sure it's been proven in scientific ways, but I don't know about those ways. I just know that it's true um, that when you've got, um, let's say, discordant energy in your subtle body, in your energy field, if you ignore it, don't acknowledge it, allow it to grow, it'll keep condensing and condensing until it actually gets into the physical and then... Then that's when like the imbalance starts with an imbalance, and then if that's left unchecked, then you've got physical problems. So, um, you know, keeping your energy field clear, clean, and happy um, is kind of like the precursor to enjoying good health. Exactly, keeping your mind in a in a positive place, keeping your body well and rested and taking care of it. All of those things are important because your body is your vehicle. This is our vehicle of how we maneuver on this planet. And we haven't really talked that much about other planets, but on other planets we have different bodies, right? Well, on this planet, this is the one we live in. There are other planets where we're more energy. We don't have illness and the things that we deal with on Earth. Um, because we're more in an energy state when we live on those planets. And there are times when clients go into past lives or other lifetimes on other planets. Um, And, in fact, that's going to be in my next book. But um, here on Earth, we have this, this body to live in, and the clearer we can keep our minds, the clearer we can keep our emotions, and the, and the flexibility so that we're not stuck in negative. It doesn't mean that bad things mm-hmm. don't happen. It's just you don't stay there. You don't live in it. Then you clear that out of your energy field, and that's what we're doing on a mental level, on a soul level, a heart level, 
with this work, the same way you do that when you step into a salt bath physically and release it. In fact, I, I suggest to clients to do a salt bath after a session to help just loosen anything that comes up because they're going to be holding them their bodies differently. You know, when you when you clear energy or you have a realization about something, you shift out of one groove into a more positive groove, then your body doesn't hold itself the same way. Your posture changes. You have more, um, um, you're not slumped over, you're standing taller, prouder. And when that happens, you need to kind of detox the physical through a salt bath or hydration with water to just flush those impurities out that are loosened along the way. And mm-hmm. I don't get into the science of it like what you were saying, but there are the, these things have been tested. You know, science has tested energy. It has tested detoxing. So I let those experts kind of focus on that part because we know that that works. We just need methods to move people into those more positive states so that they can be here longer and happier while they're here. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, there is a chapter in my book. I was thinking you were going to bring this one up. But you haven't yet. Um, it's called Spiritual Rehab for Injured Souls. And this particular client, her job, so, so when we go into the spirit world, we have things that we do there. We have jobs. There's activity. And this client, her job is she's a soul doctor and she works with the displaced souls so she actually incarnates on earth to study humans where most souls go home to rest (laughs) she comes here to rest study humans take back that knowledge and go home to reparent the displaced souls like let's say serial killers you know the ones they they don't come down with the intent to be a serial killer. They may they it may be part of their path that they're going to kill, but not to the extent that they get off track. Something goes wrong in the soul mind that they really go off track and take a lot of other souls with them. So when their soul goes back home, they go to a special space. They don't get to interact with the others. And that energy has to be reparented. And at a soul level, when they go back, they feel such remorse for what they've done. They isolate as well, you know, because at a soul level, we're different than our human self. Where they're they're mm-hmm. appalled by what their human self has done. Um, and so, so as the soul doctor, um, we were asking about her soul advisory council. And she mentioned that there was an ET on her council. So I asked more of that elder, and I said, you know, can you tell me more about your role? And the elder responded, it's not that we're separate. It's just that we're individual and different. So we all have that planet of origin that we resonate with, that resonates with our vibration. And then we take on that role in that costume when we reside there as extraterrestrials, if you want to use that term. And the ETs were created with these different gifts and different ways of relating, and they have different things to offer. And so, you know, 
the ET kind of laughed because they said, if you came to our planet, you would be the ET, right? Because you would be the one who's different. (laughs) Like I said, there's a lot of humor that happens in these sessions because they want us to lighten up, but they also want us to get the message. Right. But, you know, it was so... In, in, it was so great the way that that elder responded and explained that because that's that's how it you know that's how it is. Here we have this costume and there we have that costume, and over there we have this other costume. And then there's well, a lot that, of work that we so do in sense. between. Yeah. So um, I want to ask you something. If you don't want to answer, it's okay. But do you personally um, have a, um, a kind of a, a resonance with the Arcturians? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. I feel like I I feel a connection there, and without going into my own personal background too much, there is an alignment, and I also have had lots of clients that are Arcturian. Pleiadian, um, sometimes we don't get names. We get descriptions of a planet that has the same description as this other planet that clients have described by a different name, but this client's describing it by a color. So I'm trying to get mm-hmm. the, the, some clarity there on what those planets are, what their names are, how many of them there are. Yeah. You know, well, I was like, we call it Earth. Uh, you know, on TV they call it Terra, and who knows what they call it? You know, <laughs> across the galaxy. So it's just different words for the exact same thing. Um, yes. But yeah, I just uh, because you, That's you why just I felt I'm, the, the when I looked at you changed. when I looked at your picture, I was like, wow, <laughs> Arcturian. <laughs> well, well, you know, that's what I meant by when I felt the energies change. Like, because hypnosis, I mean, across the across the world, but even across the U.S., they're they're calling it hypnosis, but there are different styles, and and then there's the the style that I do. Like, I might not be drawn to this other style over here. I would never go for that kind of a session, but with this kind, we're working on more levels than just the mind. It's not about just repeating a phrase and affirmation and drilling it into your mind, we're working with all levels. And it's not just mind, body, spirit. It is all the energy bodies around the physical body. So so I really relate to those who who understand energy that way. And, you know, a lot of your listeners do. And that's why they're drawn to the show and this kind of this kind of work. Right, and a lot right. of my students are drawn to this kind of work for that reason as well. So, um, just one more point that I, I want to um, ask you uh, before we wrap it up, and like you just said, there are a lot of different styles of hypnosis. There's different levels. There are different, uh, you know, techniques, but uh, from my understanding is that when when someone submits to being hypnotized that you cannot 
you know, mind control them and say, okay, you're going to go home and, and, uh, and do this or do that if it's not what they wanted to do. Right. There's no, they have I mean, to you, allow it on some level. So there are a couple of different styles. There's stage hypnosis, and that is real. And the stage hypnotist takes on the responsibility and the stage hypnotist leads because he has to control the crowd, right? Let's say you have 100 people in a crowd and you're the stage hypnotist. Well, out of that 100 people, 10% are going to be somnambulists, and those people go under hypnosis bigger, better, faster. So out of 100, you might have 8 to 10 that will be good candidates to bring up on stage. So you bring your top eight and then you play games with them and weed them down until you have, you know, as they're not playing or not going along anymore, you have them sit down before the audience can tell what's happening, right? And there are little tricks that they do. So that feels very uh, forced. Well, you know, if I'm trying to be the client for that kind of show, well, um, where's the benefit? it feels forced. Well, uh, yeah, entertainment. Right. Yeah, yeah I mean, the benefit is entertainment, but we're talking about fun. therapeutic hypnosis, yes. and I just so, um, I wanted to make sure that um, I asked that question because you know do, do people get nervous. Do they have fear? You know, and all yes. kinds of trepidation about being hypnotized. Like, you know, what's she going to do to me? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just this wanted style to- is transpersonal hypnotherapy. And the difference is the client is in control. So stage hypnosis, the hypnotist is in control. Transpersonal, the client is in control. If they don't want to do it, there's nothing I can say to make them go there. If we're going along and they were to, if they, this doesn't happen, but it could, if they said, you know what, I just don't want to do this anymore, they could stop the session, get up out of the recliner, and we would be done because they are in control. Now, in transpersonal hypnotherapy, the client holds the answers to all of their issues within. So they created the problem, so they also know what the solution is. So with that client that we were talking about weight as a mask, Uh I don't know enough about the client coming in for me to sit there and say, here's the root of your problem, and here's why you have that weight. I mean, I could guess. And I might be right, I might be wrong. But putting the client into that deeper state and letting them discover it and tell me what it is, we're going to get a better resolution. And then the weight's going to come off because he, that client has connected the dots to figure out the problem and now to figure out the solution to that problem and then shift the energy into the solution. So that is, that's the style I do the transpersonal approach. And that's that's kind of the difference between the two. So clients do. They come in, sometimes, I mean, they're excited, they're nervous, <laughs> they've never done anything like this before, they hope they can do it. And then when they start to do it and they meet up with their guide or they meet with their counsel, it's such a loving feeling. It's a feeling of joy to connect to that space as tears of happiness come through, right? And they're finding out, more about who they are, why they're here, their understanding, their place in the world. You know, that client with the money issues, and she's feeling so small in her life. She's feeling hopeless, 
and like she can never get ahead and she's feeling overwhelmed. And then to find out how she had been instrumental in her own way in shifting the course of the building of America and now living in America, that just helped her to see the importance. And it, it, it reminds me that in the book, the, the guides talk about how all souls are important. The smallest person that feels like the smallest is just as important as the person that's going out doing all this work because that person is meeting people and you don't know who you're going to connect with through your day that's going to change their course. When I work with clients, you know, I have people that want to go out and help people and I always tell them it starts with you because when you change you and then you go out into the world and you go home to your kids and you go home to your partner or you go to the grocery store and you smile at someone in the grocery store that's having a bad day or you say something nice to the clerk who just got yelled at by the person ahead of you in line, you change their day just by that brief interaction. And so you don't know what they're going to do now and where they're going to go, but they're going to go in a different way because you help lift them back up again in some way by your kindness. And so, um, you know, there's this co-creating that's going on with soul in these sessions that we're reconnecting the client to so they can bring that out as they go out into the world and have more of that soul connection and that soul energy. Wow. This is my this, this is, is the most exciting thing to do. Like like I said, I, I, no two sessions I, I are can, the same. <laughs> um I, I mean I can I can see the the broad reaching um power and effect of understanding truth, your own truth. And yes. you know, you might be living with someone else's truth because it's what your parents told you was true and you should be this way or you should be that way. But when you can discover your own um, from your own source, um, it's it's much more authentic. And that's where you get your power and you feel empowered because you feel connected. You know that we are here by design. Everyone. Everyone is here on purpose for a purpose. And all souls are part of that divine plan. You know, we're not here by accident. And so my goal when I wrote the book, my goal was to to bring the spiritual down to be more practical. So I took out soul names also because they're personal and individual to the client and I didn't need you know, I'm trying to keep their personal identity safe. Well of course. Protected. Yeah. You know, because people have asked me, why didn't you put that in? Because that wasn't the focus of this book. I took out the names. There were some famous people in the book, like in their past life, they were well-known. took that out because I didn't want people to get distracted by which king or which queen or which celebrity they were. They were a person dealing with this issue during this time period, and here's how it played out for them, right? But all souls are part of that divine plan, and... um, you know, this just makes me think, too, about how 
something you said earlier in this interview, how souls are, we have our individual plan that we come in for, but we also have that generational plan that we incarnate with others. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. all of us agree to incarnate during a certain time with our classmates and with their family and into a particular family. And there are these waves of souls that came during this time in history to be part of the shift for the earth. And some will do it out in front, in front of the cameras and be well-known. Others will do it quietly, no one ever noticing that they will be part of that shift. And it's, it's, it's keeping everything in the way it's supposed to be for the bigger plan as it evolves. But we have all of those little pieces that are sewn into our birthday suit the piece that's for our personal involvement, the piece that's for the generational, the piece that's for our part of the world, like the cultural part in the area that we live, and all Mm -hmm. of that's intertwined. And I just, sometimes it's mind-blowing to just sit and think about all those souls coming and going at this time, at this place, and how they're going to intersect at just the right moment. It's incredible to me how the planning that had to go into making that happen. Oh, I know what you mean. And I had to had to smile because when I'm when I'm reading someone's chart, the birth chart, the natal chart, I refer to it as your birthday suit. It's the I way you it. came in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's your birthday suit. And then all the other charts that I look at, that's just layers of clothing. But it's always the birthday suit is the bottom yeah. line. Yeah, so it's like, okay, I, I understand that concept because that's what I use to uh, to describe this natural state. Yeah. So, gosh, well, Bren, I, I I could just chat with you on and on and on, but we're just about out of time here. So, um, and I would really love to have you come back on when you finish your next book. Oh, I, I, I think our audience would our audience would eat that up too. I would love that. I, I've, this has been a pleasure. Time has just flown. <laughs> Time it has. Well, that's always We're that's always the mark of subjects. the mark of a good guest. Is when oh, it's like, oh my you. gosh, yeah, and a great yeah. host. It went it went really quickly. So I so appreciate your spending your time and and your expertise and explaining because there's a lot of a lot of mystery, a lot of um, you know, commercialism and and entertainment and. Um, misconceptions about a lot of different varieties of hypnosis. And I think that you have really put together effective and um, life-changing techniques. So uh, once again, I want to tell everyone, your website is Bren Blankenship, and Bren is spelled B-R-Y-N. Blankenship is B-L-A-N-K-I-N-S-H-I-P.com. And your book is also on Amazon, and um, and your do you have a, a page on your publisher's website as well? I do. Llewellyn Worldwide is the publisher, and the book has only been out since June the eighth, and we are already into our second printing, and oh, wow. it's doing really well, and it's become a number one Amazon hot new release. I'm very very excited because um, it's just doing really, really well. 
So thank you to everyone that has bought a copy, and thank you for all the, the great reviews that are helping it to rise higher up that list. And, you know, thank you to the people that are about to buy a copy. Um, my goal was to to take some of the mystery out of the spiritual realms and to make it more practical on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, some of the language, too, that I used is more commonplace than some of the language that I might have used if I was talking to a specific. I wanted to make it to a broader audience. Right, right. It wouldn't be so scary. There's nothing to be feared. The spiritual realms are beautiful, not to be feared. To be embraced. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for your work and... um, it was just been a pleasure talking with you. You're you're really interesting and articulate, and that also makes for a good guest. So thank you for that. And um, is your is your next book coming out? You know, anytime soon? No, um, we're just we're just in the beginning stages of that one. Um, but I I can't I can't divulge more than I did. I have the title in. Um, the Limitless Soul lists the title of the book that's coming out, but I can't really divulge more about about what that's going to okay. be. Okay. All right. Well, that <laughs> gives it a little bit of a little bit of excitement, like a present that we're not allowed to look at yet. The working title <laughs> right now is "Our Past Lives Before Earth: The Skills We Bring to Earth." Wow. Yeah. Our audience Obviously, will. Yeah. yeah. Our audience is the. Typical. I mean, the best market for that kind of material. They so, can relate. <laughs> um, yeah, just make sure you let us know, and, and we'd look forward to having you back on. Great. Thanks, Ariel. I really appreciate this, having me on. This has been wonderful. Oh, you're so welcome, Bren. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. And that is it for us here tonight at Starseed Radio Academy. We will be back next week. And until then, make sure that you find and feel compassion, kindness, and gratitude in every day because it is the door to the fifth dimension. Until next week, good night, everyone. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 